Brothers and sisters, our, our main Bible reading for today is from Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50. So you may like to turn there in your church Bible page 738 or if you prefer just listen very carefully to God's word. Isaiah chapter 50 verses 4 to 9, page 738. Isaiah 50 verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. This is the word of the Lord. There are two Bible readings today, but please don't lose Isaiah 50 if you've found it. The other one, though, is Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It's very short. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In our Bible reading, Isaiah 50 is where I want to focus, but it, it promises uh, the word that sustains the weary. Do you feel weary? Sounds wonderful, doesn't it? The word that sustains the weary. I'm interested if this is a promise of God. Shall we pray together and ask him f f to show us this word? Our Lord God Almighty, thank you. We have this precious morning in peace, in, in quiet, with your word amongst God's people, and we pray that you would bless us so much. Show us, we pray particularly, the word that sustains the weary. Show us the servant of the Lord. Show us all the Easter joy you have in store for us, Father, this week. Amen. In that amazing passage in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 50, it tells us what the face of Jesus looked like. Which is strange, isn't it? Because we don't know what the face of Jesus looks like. There were no photographs in those days, and there is no reliable painting. So I don't know. That's just one of the things I'm really looking forward to about glory, is seeing what, what, the, what the face of Jesus looks like. We'll get to behold his face forever, and I want to know what he looks like. And from then onwards, I won't be able to unsee seeing his face. But it actually tells us what his face will look like. You say, but, but I don't get it. How can that be? Well, it, it, it's not so much the bone structure and the eye color. It's, it's about his countenance. It's about the, the determination in his face. Because in, in Isaiah 50 verse 7, it says... He set his face like flint. And it's that that I want to focus on this morning. 
which will take us into this Easter week, I want you to consider Jesus' face and particularly his determination, the way he set his face like flint. I've been fascinated by this phrase for months, ever since we, you know, we, if you've been here, we preached through Luke's gospel and Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we got to that crucial phrase a couple of months ago and it says, as we just read, he, he resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now you can't quite get it in our particular version, the NIV, but in, if you read the ESV, the, the version, or you just read the original, it's, it's clear. He, it says he set his face towards Jerusalem. And Luke seems to be deliberately picking up this famous prophecy from 700 years earlier in Isaiah chapter 50, verse 7, where he set his face like flint. So I want you today, but come and behold the face of Jesus with me. I know we can't look on his physical face yet, but you can look upon his determination. You can look upon his, his face as he set it towards Jerusalem. It's a Hebrew idiom. To, to set your face like flint it comes up 11 times in the Old Testament. It means to be determined. So people set their face towards something in the Old Testament when they really want to get there. So you might, if you're going on holiday and you have uh, booked the tickets, you've got your accommodation sorted, you've packed the car, and then you're on the road there, but you hit a traffic jam. <clears throat> you know, standstill traffic, and you're on the main road, but you're stuck for a while. Well, you might have a face like Flint. You know, I am going to get on this holiday. I'm going to be on that beach. And you might think to yourself, I will get there, because I'm not giving up now. And there's a pale reflection of Jesus Christ. He, he said, I will be there. I set my face towards Easter. I set my face towards Jerusalem. I will get there for the sake of the people I love and for the sake of the people I'm going to save. So come and behold him with me. I just I want that for you this morning. And particularly I want it for you if you're weary. Maybe you're weary of your job and the responsibilities that are placed on you. Do you ever get that feeling that every fresh, every fresh thing that's passed to me is important? You know, everything requires careful handling like a precious vase or something before I can put it down again. Maybe you're weary of your routine and you feel like a hamster in a wheel. Do you ever get that feeling, you know, you go to bed and you think, where on earth did that day go? Or you, you get to the end of that week and you think, oh my goodness, another one's gone by. Maybe you're weary of waiting and you've been waiting for something that was promised to you or you've been waiting for change and it hasn't come yet. Maybe you're weary of sin and weary of falling into the same bad habits and addictions over and over again, reaching for the same objects time after time and hating yourself tired of that maybe you feel just tired of life and you're ready to give up today I want you to know the word that sustains the weary maybe you feel really bright eyed and bushy tailed and you bounced in here this morning well if that's you praise the Lord but there is, there is someone sitting near you who is bone weary so for their sakes would you know the word that sustains the weary Isaiah chapter 50 is one of four famous songs in Isaiah chapters 42 to 53. And you may know them, or you may never have heard them before, in which case you're in for a treat. They're sometimes called the servant songs. It's a bit like Isaiah made his own little EP, you know, four songs. These are going to be absolute classics. All of them invoke a mysterious servant figure. And indeed, he's mentioned in chapter 10 of Isaiah 50. And this is a big prophecy that we're about to delve into, right? So the Old Testament... God's people, they reduced the hope of the world. Everything God had promised about the world. I love the world. I created the world for a reason. I have good in store for the world. And the Old Testament funneled it down to one person. And by the time this was written in 700 BC, they were, they were thinking there's just this one person who's going to sort us out. He had to be a king in the house of David and he had to be a servant. That's what we know from Isaiah. 
So let's, let's just focus in on these few verses, Isaiah 54 to 9, and we'll look at the what and the when and the why together. And then I want to just talk about what it means for us today. Okay, so what, when, why. Firstly, what Jesus was determined to do. What Jesus was determined to do. Of course, we know from the gospel, Luke 9:51, he was determined to enter Jerusalem. We know that. He was heading somewhere geographical. And Isaiah 50 tells us he knew he'd be rejected. So in a way, he was determined to go to Jerusalem and be rejected. Okay, I have some, um, some audience participation I need from you. We're going to read um, a few of these verses in Isaiah 50, and I want you to listen out for the physical body parts that are mentioned. I think there are six, and then I'm going to quiz you in a moment, okay? So let's go. Isaiah 50, verse 4. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I, had offered, I have offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Ready? So some, just Anybody can shout out um, any body parts you noticed. Ears. Yes, thank you, Brian. So we've got ears in verses four and five, actually. They get, they get mentioned twice. I can't hear very well from up here. Who was that? Tongue. Tongue. Yeah, that was the first one, right? Verse four. Yeah, we've got back in verse six. I offered my back to those who beat me. Cheeks. Cheeks, straight after that. Yeah, my cheeks to those who pulled up my beard. Beard, I think, counts as its own one, doesn't it? Yeah, that's very visceral. And face, yes, I didn't, yeah, thank you very much. Face gets mentioned twice in verses six and seven. I think we got all six, didn't we? Tongue, ear, back, cheeks, beard, face. This is an out-and-out biblical prophecy about somebody who's going to get rejected. And can you, you can feel it in a very physical way. You know, their beard is going to get pulled out. Their back is going to get hit. I was reading this with someone recently, and they, they said, this is amazing. So you're telling me that like, it's like the roots of Jesus go back and back and back for generations. I said, yeah, it's like 700 years back, and we can, we can keep going. We can go back to Abraham if you want to. But listen to the way the New Testament describes Jesus at Easter time. Luke chapter 22. The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. Or Matthew chapter 26. Then they spat in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him. Mark chapter 15. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spat on him. I never forget um, at Bible college, they teach you to read Greek if you want it. And um, the Bible was originally written in Greek, the New Testament. I tell you, the most moving Greek lesson I ever had, they got us to translate these passages. And you go from verb to verb and translating, oh, what does that word mean? It means they struck him. What does that word mean? It means they spat on him. What does that word mean? It means they mocked him. And yet all of this was the fulfillment of what God had promised would happen to his servant. He, he, God had said, there's going to be this leader. He's going to be a, a Davidic king, king in the line of David. And they are going to treat him shamefully like this. Can you feel the rejection amongst the spit and the knuckles? 
It is amazing that God prophesied this and then Jesus was determined to do it. A modern example, I mean, this is amazing that God did this. So if you go back 700 years from today, you get to the 1300s, right? So imagine a prophecy made in, in the 1300s, let's say Geoffrey Chaucer, who I think was writing in the 1300s. He's, he's, he writes down, look, 700 years, there's going to be this leader and he's going to be a blonde leader and he is going to go to Eton and he is going to win a great victory and set his face like flint towards something called Brexit. And we would know, okay, I, I think I know who you're talking about. It's Boris Johnson, right? right? You can sort of reckon, oh yeah, that's, that make, it makes sense. And yet this is, this is, that didn't happen. There was no prophecy about Boris Johnson. <laughs> and uh, this is more amazing because the Lord said, Look, I'm going I'm to send you my leader. He's going to set his face like flint towards this rejection. I know it's not written in the future tense here, but the prophets in the Old Testament often used the past tense because they viewed it as a done deal. It's sometimes called the prophetic perfect. It was a way of saying, look, this will come true. And the other three servant songs on Isaiah's EP, they all use the future tense. So this is a real prophecy that said a servant leader would arise in Judah whose body would be beaten and yet they'd have a flint-faced determination to serve God. Jesus knew, therefore, that when he rode into Jerusalem, you know, Palm Sunday, children shouting, lifting up their palm branches, Jesus was aware this is no gilded carriage, you know, this is no great state coronation. I'm riding here to be rejected. So that's our first thing, what Jesus was determined to do. Should we turn and consider the second thing, when Jesus was determined to do it? You may remember Luke 9:51 says, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So that phrase, as the time approached, there, there was this set time. That doesn't just mean, oh, Jesus thought it was kind of a, a neat time to do something. That, that literally, the word is, uh, when the days of his being taken up were to be fulfilled. So Luke, Luke, the gospel writer, is deliberately saying, the time was coming, the appointed time was there. So Jesus started traveling south at Passover time around 33 AD. I usually find that jobs don't usually get done unless there's a deadline. Do you ever get that? I know something's important to do, but unless you give me a deadline, I'm not very good at getting it done. You know, Sarah can say to me, look, please, please would you sort out that DIY job because it's, it's making a mess of our house. I'll say, yeah, 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 yeah. I know. I'll, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. But if she were to say, could you sort out that DIY job because your mum's coming to visit next week and it would be really nice if the house didn't look like it was falling to bits. Oh, yes, I, should, I really should get around to that now. And surely part of the reason Jesus' face was set like flint was because the time of fulfillment had come. You know, Easter week was upon him. He knew the Passover was coming and he was the Passover lamb. So the great deadline of his life that he had been building up to was here. Isn't that amazing? So through space and time, space towards Jerusalem, time towards that great Passover and the fulfillment of prophecy, Jesus just moving determinedly with a face like flint towards it. That's the when. And thirdly, let's look at the why. Why was Jesus determined to do it? Well, I can see two things in our Bible reading today. Two reasons why. There's the help and there's the weary. Let's just look at both of those. Firstly, the, the help. It says the sovereign Lord was going to help him. 
I realize four times here it, it talks about this, so you, you can follow with me if you like. Verse 4, it says, The sovereign Lord has given me a well instructed tongue. And then in verse 5, it says, The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. And then in verse 7, do you see that? Because the sovereign Lord helps me. And then in verse 9, it says, It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Four times, the sovereign Lord is going to help me or he's going to do something for me. So, Jesus. Why were you willing to do that, Jesus? Why were you willing to go to Jerusalem and be rejected? Well, big part of the reason is because he knows his father, the sovereign Lord, is going to help him. Do you detect here, 700 years before Jesus, the Son of God becomes incarnate, do you detect here the Father and the Son? I do. They didn't know the full glory of the Trinity in the Old Testament, but I see here Jesus saying, I am the Lord, I'm, the, I'm David's king, but I'm going to get help from the sovereign Lord. And this is sometimes called the, the pact of salvation. So father and son deciding together in eternity past that we're going to save people. They were going to do this great thing of, of saving a people for their own. And I detect here the sovereign Lord, the father, saying to the Lord, the son, I'm going to help you. We're going to do this together. You're going to walk to Jerusalem. I'm going to be with you every step of the way. So that's the, the first reason. A, the sovereign Lord was going to help Jesus. But there's something else as well. Why was Jesus determined to do it? Well, B, because of the weary. He was willing to do it to sustain the weary. And this is, this is important. This is the reason in today's Bible passage that I've been able to find. So verse 4. If you do have a Bible open, just look at verse 4. If you look at one thing, would you? The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. If you know Isaiah, you know the whole second half of that book, chapters 40 to 66, is about comfort. Comfort. I want, I want you to speak tenderly to my people. They are so tired. They are so weary from exile because God's people have been pushed and dragged around. They've been taken to exile. They're being offered a chance to come back again, but they're tired and beleaguered. And this little line fits right in with that passion of God's. Look, please would you tell them the word that will sustain the weary. And my friends, the great news today is this is still the Lord's passion. He still wants you to know the word that sustains the weary. It hasn't become untrue just because it's old. You know, some things get dim with old or they get wrinkled and grey. This promise is still true. He wants you to know the word that sustains the weary. It's not like you know, 700 years passed before Jesus, so this doesn't really count anymore. Or it's not like well, 2,000 Easter's have happened since Jesus was here so that this, this promise isn't really as vivid as it ever was. It is because he wants you to know the word that sustains the weary. He wants to sustain you who are weary of being in exile. You who long for glory. He wants to sustain you who are sick of sin and you just want to come back to him. He wants to sustain you who are trying to do the right thing in the face of bitter opposition and you find your face isn't always like flint. It's more like jelly sometimes but he wants to show you the one whose face is like flint for you he wants to sustain you who have reached the end of your tether and you can't see a way out he wants to sustain you because he didn't just give you a human body and put you on this planet for nothing he put you here so that you could do his work be sustained in the good work he's given you to do you know otherwise it's like some great cosmic high five that leaves leaves you hanging isn't it you know when someone leaves you hanging you offer them a high five and they don't even notice or they don't want to so they don't give it back if, if, if God just created you and left you on planet earth to, I don't know 
figure it out. That would be like some great cosmic high five. And you'd say, Lord, don't leave me hanging. And he would. But he says, I want you to know the word that sustains the weary. I want all my power to, to meet you in this situation I've put you in. And Jesus knows the word that will sustain the weary. A couple of years ago, I went to the Churchill War Rooms. And uh, you ever been there? Some of you? It's this little staircase that takes you underground near St. James's Park and Whitehall. And it is um, uh, amazing. Like, as you know, I'm a history geek, so I do love this sort of thing. But honestly, you go underground to this subterranean network of rooms where Winston Churchill and the cabinet and the government, they ran lots of the war effort from there. It was underground to, to protect them as much as possible from air raids. And it's fascinating because in these ordinary-looking basement rooms with pipes and cables everywhere, you go from room to room and they've got the canteen and they've got the little offices for the staff. They've got desks. All the clocks have been stopped at exactly the same time when the war ended. So it's like, you, you know, oh, I'm really here in a moment in history. And you go to the clerk's rooms and you go to the map room where they've got all Europe spread out on the table with the little pushy things with the counters. And then towards the end of the tour, you get to Winston Churchill's bedroom. And it's this ordinary-looking room, and it's got a single bed in it, iron bed with a quilt on it. It's got an ordinary desk there that he could have worked on. And they said, Winston Churchill, he spent lots of the war down here. Obviously, he wanted to be in amongst the action. He wanted to be close to all his staff. And I could imagine him, you know, with his great big cigar, you know, walking through the rooms with, while people type and while they talk on the phones and while they organize the war effort. And I thought, wow, this must have been a, a brutal, hard-working, wearying place to be. I can sort of imagine myself at one of those old typewriters. But when Winston Churchill walks in, I think I feel differently. When the prime minister walks in, who is leading the war effort, and he hasn't given up, I think I'd think, all oh, right, well, I haven't given up either then. If he's still determined, then he's still making speeches and you know, he's giving the victory sign. If he's still sure that we can do this, then I'm sure too. You know, in, a, in a much greater way, Jesus is engaged with this great battle against evil. He's engaged in a, a battle against the devil and against our own sin. And he has a face like flint. You know? He has not given up. He sets his face towards Jerusalem. And though I feel weary, and you may feel weary too, he hasn't given up. Still, still today, he's as, he's as passionate about bringing you to glory as he ever was. This Easter time. I don't know about you, I think, well, I haven't given up either then. God's invitation to us this morning is to be sustained by Jesus' determination. Winston Churchill is cold in his grave. I've seen his grave with my, old, with my own eyes. He was a great leader, but he's gone now. And yet Jesus Christ is alive and well. He's as determined as ever, and he is still determined. So look, my friends, maybe you're sniffing around at the edges of faith, at the edges of Christianity. Can I just encourage you? There's, there's lots of peripheral stuff in Christianity, but if you focus in, funnel in on Jesus Christ, you won't be disappointed. Like I said, the Old Testament reduces the hope of the world down to one man, and shamelessly so. I've been enjoying running a group with a few of you at the moment called Seeking Jesus, and it's joyful. We just get together, we read about Jesus, and we say, forget the other stuff for now. We just want to tell us about Jesus. Maybe you could join a similar group to that if you want to press further into Christianity. Maybe, on the other hand, you did that a while ago, but you're involved in ministry and you're tired, you're, you're, you're weary. 
Well, it's the same for you, you know. Focus in on Jesus. This Easter has to be about him, doesn't it? I mean, I've got no time for an Easter that's about chocolate or traditions or robes or churchy stuff. I don't want an Easter that's about Jesus. This life has to be about him because I haven't got time to waste. Why not get something this week that stirs your heart for Jesus? It could be a song. It could be a Bible story. It could be a piece of art. It could be a phrase. You could stick it on the wall of your house. You could play it every day. And you could let this Easter be one that's about Jesus. Maybe you've been giving something up for Lent. Well, remember who that was for. You know, we don't just give stuff up for self-improvement. We do it for Christ. Don't just look forward to the chocolate or the wine or the beer or the social media that you get to enjoy again after Easter. You, you use it. You know, the 40 days of determination that it may have taken you to give something relatively small up. That's not a patch on what Jesus gave up as he set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. He is so determined to win you. Maybe as you break your Lent fast, you could raise a toast to your Savior and his determination. Maybe you're bored by Jesus. In that case, can I say to you quietly, gently, I don't think you've understood. I just don't think you have. Have you looked? Have you truly looked into the face of him who didn't sit languid on a throne like so many rulers, but he got off it, got down from it? got down onto the dust of planet earth and then resolutely set his face like flint towards Jerusalem. You know that phrase, uh, there's, there's a phrase, uh, there's a face that launched a thousand ships. Ever heard that? I'd heard that. I never really understood what it meant, so I had to look it up this week. Apparently Helen of Troy, she had the face that launched a thousand ships. She was so beautiful that um, a whole army went off to war. They literally launched a thousand warships because they wanted to sort of fight the battle for her in, um, in Troy. Well, Jesus has got like the face that launched a thousand truces. He's got, he's got the face that put together again a thousand marriages. He's got the face that changed a billion lives. Jesus' face, so determined on behalf of you. If you're bored by him, then I think you haven't looked yet. Maybe you could ask God to show, him, show you his face. Maybe you've been let down by people. Well, I want you to know that Jesus never lets you down. His determination is unparalleled. His resolve is endless. His face is like flint. The rest of the nose, you know, it's a bit like it's got a, a nose made out of wax and it just, they change their appearance to suit the situation. Sometimes Christians can be like that and it's desperately disappointing, me among them. But Jesus won't let you down because he has a face like flint and he never changes. He's got a will of iron. If you feel bitter towards other people today, you could, maybe today's the day, I just let that lie. Lord, I give that over to you. That's up to you, but I love Jesus because he's got a face like flint and he never lets me down. Maybe you've just given up. You've given up on work. You've all but given up on church. Perhaps you've given up on life. But Jesus hasn't given up on you. You see, this is the gospel. When you give up, he hasn't given up. As I sometimes call the fifth gospel, because he just preaches the same thing as the four other gospel writers in the New Testament. I just want to tell you about justification by faith. I want to tell you about the strength of your Savior. I want to tell you about the servant king who loves to serve you. Jesus hasn't given up on you. You have purpose. You have meaning. You are valuable. And Jesus bestows all of that on you and repeats it to you. You are part of the greatest love story the world has ever known. Or maybe finally, you've got some energy and you would like to do something with your life. Well, 
Now you know the word that sustains the weary. Honestly, think if there is a single word that sustains the weary, it's Jesus. I had the wonderful privilege last month of meeting a woman with an incurable illness. She lives in Yorkshire. She runs a cafe. I'd expect someone with an incurable illness who's basically received a death sentence to be unutterably weary, to have given up and resigned herself to endless rounds of treatment. I tell you, she had the biggest smile I've seen in ages. She ran this cafe and she said, you know, I just love it. Monday morning, I can't wait for Monday morning to, work, to roll around. I serve people their coffee and they say, why are you so happy? And I say, do you really want to know? And they say, yeah. And then she goes, and then I, and then I go on and just tell them all about Jesus. I just, can't, I just can't wait for the opportunity to talk about him. All around us, people are weary and they're beleaguered they're, and they're depressed. But you, Christian, have the word that all creation is groaning to hear. Jesus. Jesus, Jesus Christ our Lord. We sing at Christmas that carol, the weary world rejoices. And I think I might sing it at Easter time as well. Let's take a moment and um, maybe in quiet, you want to tell the Lord about the weariness that you're feeling or the weariness that someone else is feeling. And then we'll bring it to him in prayer. Oh Lord God Almighty, some of us want to lift up tired hearts to you and we want to say, Lord, we are weary. But Lord, you've given us the word that sustains the weary. You want to say comfort, comfort to an exiled world. You want to offer us a way back from the dark paths of sin and have a weary world rejoice. And if, if that's it, Father, then we gladly come. We come running with all the, all the energy we can muster and we run to Jesus Christ. We want to walk with him into Jerusalem and watch him in all his grace. Pray for all of us here, Father, that you might give us an Easter full of joy, might give us lives full of joy in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we look upon him in, in our mind's eye with his face set like flint towards Jerusalem. And we praise you for him. Amen.